and welcome to the Dice's Screaming Podcast. Uh, oh, that was a great one. Hey, I'm Randy. I'm Mike. And we're bringing you our little brand of insanity from the darkest corners of the interwebs. <laughs> oh, come on. We're, we're not that bad. I mean, not the darkest corners. Maybe the... Like the, the dimly lit alleyways of the interwebs. You know what? I'm going to go with that. I like I like the description of dimly lit rather than the darkest. Yeah. Ah, now, I mean, you can expect no less than that from the meatless chili oh. of gaming podcast. You're not even sure what's really in, what's left in there that's edible. It's just beans. They've taken out everything that was good. Just tomorrow's oh. leftovers. Tomorrow's <laughs> leftovers. Yeah, that's us. We are tomorrow's leftovers. <laughs> You're definitely going to be dealing with us for a while. Nonetheless, uh, speak for yourself. I like me this chili once in a while. Mm. Let me throw me some peppers in there. Yeah, some good stuff. All right. So, hey, uh, it's been a rough week out there, but uh, thanks for stopping by and giving us a listen. Um, yeah, we've been uh, having a lot of good feedback, so glad you guys are liking the once-a-week format. I feel that sometimes we always tended to go over an hour on... Uh, a, going twice a week and sometimes we were hitting something passionate i or that we felt really strongly about so we would gush yeah we had a lot of like uh, we'd meant for half hour but we wound up with 47 48 50 minutes you know uh, per segment uh, because some of these topics i mean without carving it down into just like examinations of only one point of minutia uh, some of them just merited well more than a half hour. I mean, and we were hard pressed just to shove that in. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, so much that we, so much left on the cutting room floor. No, there was no cutting room floor. We, yeah, we just, yeah. you know, intentionally sacrificed whole concepts. Like, ah, hey, we also going another twenty minutes. Went off to the rails or off into the weeds or well, got lost. Yeah, I sometimes mean, it's you've uh, also got to have like room for a certain amount of cheerful lunacy. So. Yeah, <laughs> at least I do. <laughs> Look, I don't ramble on; I meander, and you can follow me along. Or not, not all who wander are lost, but some of us we are. are. I, but we're crazy. I mean, not all. Okay, the important part there is be not all. Uh, right. <laughs> we're totally lost. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, hopefully you had a good night, uh, or at least got some rest. Uh, we hope that uh, you all are taking care of yourselves out there and being safe, as well as uh, you enjoyed your day at the polls. Um, whether your horse won or lost is an exciting ride. A lot of participation, so we were happy to be part of the Democracy Works. Yeah, I mean, and that's a thing that I do stand firm on, is that it's not as important to me uh, that people agree with me, uh, but I am a firm believer in being a participant, uh, being active in the process, and mm -hmm. I certainly encourage that in everyone. So I was very happy to see so many people participating this year. Yeah. So good on you. Good on you. Yeah, so thanks for them for uh, giving us you, a little uh, time to promote them. So we hope you uh, at least took that to heart. All right, so uh, off with the uh, bad stuff and in with the fun. We got ourselves a good uh, topic for you today. Probably one that we should have done earlier, so shame on us, seeing that uh, we like so many of these games. Some 50 episodes ago, we, we hinted at it. It has been referred to backhandedly 
but we did not get around to doing a proper coverage of it. And at last, we, we finally find ourselves with the opportunity, nay, the responsibility to mm. cover a most worthy topic. Indeed. So uh, the kimono is still closed. Fluttering. Fluttering as though you haven't just looked at the title already on the podcast. And, it might have something to do with that meatless chili. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so now the back of the kimono is fluttering a bit. Oh, but, you weren't specific but, but, in what part of the kimono was fluttering. Okay, I'll take your word for it. <laughs> hey. What you get for serving me meatless chili? <laughs> hey, your words. Sorry you got hung by them. No. All right. So that said. We got some call-ins from Jason. Uh no relation to having flatulence. Sorry, Jason. <laughs> no, no, totally unrelated. To totally that. unrelated. Moving buddy. to a different topic. Yeah, Jason, who uh, uh, has some thoughts about some movies and some other things. So take it away, Jason. Hey, guys. Jason here. Great episode on werewolves, on lycanthropy. Really enjoyed it. Thought you made some great points, interesting points. And, um, yeah, I don't really have anything nitpick. You inadvertently, I think... I might have misheard it. I listened to Speed and a Half, One and a Half Speed. But but I thought when you're talking a little bit about some of the Native American myths and whatnot, you mentioned the Manitou. Well, of course, you know, that takes them back to the Will, William Girdler movie, The Manitou. Great, great movie. Surely you've seen that. And, and then, of course, you inadvertently also mentioned another great movie title, The Beast Within. If you haven't seen The Beast Within, I highly recommend it. It. Is it Amicus? It's not Hammer Horror, but it's you know another British horror movie where a you know rich man brings a bunch of people together, including an elderly Peter Cushing, to try to figure out which one is the werewolf. And there's a werewolf break where they decide who's the werewolf. Great stuff. Qu- quick clarification: the werewolf break is so you can guess who's the werewolf, and then when we come back from the break, they tell you who the werewolf is. So it's like this break in the movie. It's like. Okay, now's the werewolf break. Who do you think is the werewolf? Just just wonderful stuff. Great, great movie. Also has a great soundtrack. So, anyhow, talk to you later. Holy misquotes, Batman. Sorry, I told you the totally wrong movie. <laughs> the Beast Within is something else. The movie I was thinking of and the movie you should watch is The Beast Must Die. The Beast Must Die starring Calvin Lockhart from like 74 or something like that. That's the British movie you need to watch. The Beast Within, I don't, I'm not recommending that. I'm watch. I'm recommending The Beast Must Die. Sorry about that. My, my fault for mixing the two titles up. All right. Well, thanks for that, Jason. All right. So I think it's uh, the name of the, of the Beast. The Beast within, Must Die. Right, the Beast Must Die. Not I think. The Beast Within. But uh, thank you for the clarification. Cause yeah. I'm going to go hunting tonight uh, on, you know, streaming services and just poke around and see if I can track down a chance to watch that. Also, the Manitou, which I have not seen either of these two movies. I'm literally out of the loop on both. Yeah, the Manitou is more like, I guess, a movie of the week kind of thing. I was keen on Ravenous. Yeah, Ravenous. Uh, We didn't get to go into that one uh, very much. Uh, What we were talking about, we weren't really hitting the Manitou. We were going for the Wendigo. And um, I mean, we were trying to stick to mostly referencing things that are parallel to lycanthropy, uh, whereas you know the Manitou is you know less of, yeah less of the werewolf uh, loup garou uh, 
you know, incidents and much more of a mindset. <clears throat> yeah. You know, a, a curse. Mm-hmm. Like Liberating Johnson. Mm. Oh, man. Yeah, look that guy up. Look it up. Yeah. Totally worthwhile. Little but, uh, slice of American mythos. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I also have some uh, sponsors uh, to go over. Yeah. Uh, I kind of skipped that. But uh, so thanks, um, Jason, for all your uh, input on that. Um, actually, your Manitou actually does factor in this obliquely. Or obliquely? Obliquely. Uh, obliquely. Yes. Yeah. yes. Tomato, tomato. Um, get the stick out of my mouth. I might be able to pronounce stuff better. Oh. But yeah, I forgot to uh, give uh, shout outs to our sponsors. Yeah, we actually have sponsors now. You can sponsor yeah. us on the Anchor app. So that is a thing. And you know, that is not originally what we uh, got into this for. It was not really a thing that we, we anticipated. Uh, but because it was a possibility, uh, it wound up eventually happening, much to our surprise. I mean, I was a little concerned at first. I thought it was like hush money. You're like, could you guys just like, you know, if, if we keep sending the money, will you not do a show? <laughs> Which we're totally into. By the way. <laughs> um, I mean, you can pay me to get me to shut up. <laughs> I will shut up for money. But we were uh, surprised, pleased, and and very flattered. So awesome! Thank you so much. Yeah. So Gilbert Soares and uh, Soares. Yes. O-A-R-E-S. I hope I'm pronouncing Source. it right. Source. And uh, Todd McKenzie. So you're our sponsor. So um, forgive us, uh, Gilbert, for not getting to you earlier, man. Thanks a lot. Yeah, as this turns into a, uh, a thing, I mean, if that's going to be a thing, we're probably going to respond in kind by uh, doing some unique things for our sponsors. Cause... Yeah, if we start getting some more sponsors here, um, it definitely behooves us to come out and uh, get some stuff. Uh, we can nice definitely get some merch. Do um, some giveaways and... You know, show people that, like, yeah, I mean, we just, we love you guys too, man. Yeah, we're looking into logos and music, so definitely going to be expanding the Dice is Screaming. It's going to be... Yeah, there are some 2021 plans that are, uh, are, uh, you know, on track to uh, kick off as we begin a a third different year. We started in 2019. Mm -hmm. We had quite the rocky road through uh, 2020. (gasps) Uh, it really has been, uh, and we're looking forward very much to 2021. So we, we've got all kinds of weird stuff in store. We certainly do. We hope you uh, stick around for it. So uh, I also want to give a shout out to some of the Twitter fam, uh, Troopcast. Troopcast is doing their uh, little podcast thing there. Check them out at Troopcast. Dungeon Tales, yes, it's kind of like Dung Ducktales, except it's with the dungeon. So I imagine there's dragons there too, and uh, yeah, those are another. Uh, Streamer there and uh, Game Blaster, which is a D live stream. As I understand, it, they have two live streams going on. So, uh, Rhyme of the Frost Maiden, something that they're doing. So, check those folks out. And again, thank you for the follows and the likes and all that good stuff on our Twitter feed. I mean, I'm primarily the front man on Twitter, not out of necessary choice, but out of necessity because, well, Twitter's a rarefied sphere. I would like to say that the community he, in Twitter... He's the front man. I'm more of an ass man myself, so... <laughs> oh, it's going to be like that, isn't it? All right. Yeah, I went there. No, uh, my, my logo plans in, included uh, you know, taking old classic metal albums where like uh, it, they had naked dudes and then just having somebody paint a too-short kimono 
onto each of them. Yeah, yeah, cover of Rush Hemisphere, <laughs> you know, but with an awkwardly short kimono. Or, uh, or Led Zeppelin. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. With awkwardly short kimono. Yeah, all right, that, you see where I'm going. House is the Holy, yeah. Yeah, that's what all I'm right. talking about. All right, I see you. Awkwardly short kimonos over naked 70s metal albums. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'll be starting a music geek podcast here shortly, but uh, oh, I'm not really good gonna, on you. Yeah, yeah, talking about the the bad things in in music that have driven me nuts over the years. Oh well, I mean that could uh, that could take a while. It will. That's a lot of a lot of material there. All right. <laughs> oh yeah, Mike's Mike's uh, episode two thousand three hundred ninety seven of why I hate pop music. <laughs> yeah, I mean this, this this material writes itself. Let me count the ways. <laughs> Today is entirely dedicated to. Uh, oh. You thought American Psycho was bad about Simply Red? Yeah, I'll I'll give you a review of Simply Red. Rick Astley had this coming. <laughs> Simply dumb. Ugh. All right. Um. Anyhow. Yes. Yes. Enough of that curmudgeonliness uh, and and. Yeah. Levity. So we're uh. But we're thank you so much to our sponsors and to our followers. Yeah. And thanks uh, so much, Jason, for all your uh, input. So, like <coughs> I said, the Manitou actually leads into this indirectly. So, what is our topic tonight? Well, it's something we should have done a long time ago. Which, yeah, shame on us. Here but it comes. Earth Dawn. Boom, the yeah. kimono is down. And I know not a lot of people play it, but man, Earth Dawn. Uh, what can you say about Earth Dawn? It's a conglomeration. It's A lot of people say it's similar to Dungeons & Dragons done right, but uh, I would. it draws more from RuneQuest, which is, of course, everybody knows my favorite game, but also it provides a prequel setting to the Shadowrun game. So, yeah. like, three great games I love it all in one. And there's so much going on. And yeah. the biggest thing I would say about Earthdawn, like Shadowrun, is it focused primarily on a setting, kind of like RuneQuest focused very heavily on Glorantha, at least the first and second edition did, now the current one. Or the third one kind of like, hey, it's in medieval Earth. Yeah, this is one of Fasa Corporation's great outings. Okay, this uh, Earthdawn, uh, and we're looking at like the 1993 release uh, here, but... We started playing this uh, back in the late 90s, in particular. Uh, that was when we actually had a heavy running full campaign. Uh, prior to that, there had been toes dipped in the water and one-offs. But as we got into the late 90s, uh, we launched an Earth Dawn campaign and really came to love the game and the system. Uh, it proved its mettle as a product. Uh, and hey, very happy to get a chance to do a show about it because, as you yeah, said, Earth. it is wired into um, well elements of Dungeons and Dragons, elements of uh, Rune Quest, elements of Shadowrun. You know, there are connections laced throughout this to some of the best loved games out there. So <laughs> it it's shameful that we've taken this long to get to it. Yeah, but, you know, uh, we get around everything eventually, I guess, like a lazy husband. Yeah, like a dirty stomp around. <laughs> when you gonna go fix the leaves on the road, I'll get around to it. Yeah, on the honeydew list. And yeah. Earthdawn has been on the honeydew list. Yeah, so it's been through, like, uh, four publications. There's uh, Foss's Run, and then there was a, uh, when Foss folded, or closed the doors and folded up uh, for business, 
Uh, it was past the living room games, and then uh, I believe there was a third. I can't remember the name offhand, but yeah, Mongoose took it over for a while into the imprint, imprint Flaming Cobra. They uh, published it again, and the license is now back in Foss's hands, and uh, oh. they released a fourth edition with some new mechanics, but it's pretty much still the same game, and uh, it more is an exploration of the metaphysics kind of inherent in Shadowrun. Everybody uses magic, so you're like, oh, it's like RuneQuest. Well, yeah, but it also has a level system rather than... Uh, magic is considerably more preeminent in the Earth Dawn uh, game system. It is kind of the fabric of reality uh, that the interactions you have with things and even with your own growth uh, as a adventurer, uh, your development of skills, all of this is wired into your kind of metaphysical presence in the game. So uh, much more magic saturated uh, even than RuneQuest in some ways, because you know, whether it's the humblest warrior or the crudest rogue, uh, magic is a part of your life in Earth Dawn. Oh well, I I would say it's pretty much the same. Both both uh, are very similar in their approaches. Everybody has magic in both settings, but Earth Dawn takes it to where it's focused into rather than having a class, you're all adepts. So as being adepts, you express your magic through whatever it is, the patterns that you weave throughout yourself, and how you have learned and trained into a adept himself. And there are several circles of adepts, which are also uh, versatile to levels. So you know, rather than like, I know there's the splinter sect of Dungeons and Dragons that loves level titles. You know, like how you can explain like, I'm a third level swashbuckler. What? Okay. I'm a... You could identify yourself by the terms that you had. But in Earth Dawn, you can specifically say, I am a third circle initiate of the warrior the path of the warrior and that immediately attunes recognition and it's also woven into your uh your gear and others can magically sense it so it is almost like the mechanics are baked right into the setting and i should mention that like with all characters who are adventurers and have achieved some degree of skill being adepts you know, and the level of their adepthood being described as the circle to which they belong. There are not all that many circles. Now, uh, yeah, there's there's a level in it. <clears throat> uh, to compare, if you were forced to contrast levels versus uh, circles, to to make some kind of relationship to a, a game system that is more familiar. In D&D, you, you would be cashing in at least a couple of levels per circle uh, in Earth Dawn. You know, uh, someone of the eighth circle is not to be trifled with. This, no, this does not mean that you've only made it to a paltry eighth level. Eighth circle anything in Earth Dawn is quite an accomplishment. Yeah, you can get up to 13th circle, but those add-ups are very rare. Yeah, that is... Uh, <laughs> stratospheric yeah that's the pinnacle and then uh you know there's a number of other uh, paths and uh adepts that have different uh circle caps and all that but those things the very metaphysics of the gaming almost like the fourth wall is broken down on this one you're almost walking atop it now 
I would love to go into some of the background history of this setting. Oh, yeah, because it's the same world as Shadowrun, our world, technically speaking, but it's like a millennia or so earlier during a prehistory that has been forgotten. During an, uh, If you're not familiar with the Shadowrun or Fasa epoch of Matt Rise and Fall of Magic, there have been several. And Shadowrun exists in the sixth world. Well, this was the fourth world. Yeah, before the ordinary world of men and before the uh, eventual shift from the world of men to the return of magic, uh, the fourth cycle would be uh, the time that cleansed the world, so to speak, uh, <laughs> uh, that paved the way for what would eventually come later. Now, uh, with the core concept being the magic rises and falls, uh, they have attached something in Earth Dawn that was unique to Earth Dawn's system. That, as the presence of magic peaked, the extraplanar creatures of a almost Shethuloid nature, uh, in many cases malevolent or violently self-interested, uh, took notice. Think like uh, it from Stephen King. No, not the gaudy clown, Pennywise, but the entity. Yeah, the force behind it that that fed that weight came purposely to feed on the delicious, sweet fear and agony of mortals that would soon inhabit this place. Yeah, and the horrors, as they were known, uh, eventually grew in number. I mean, drawn like. Flies to stink. Okay, they just yeah invaders from the astral plane. Strong magic and sentient creatures. They just flocked to it because it's dinner time and somebody was ringing the bell. And this ultimately led to a state of crisis that forced the peoples of this world into hiding. They had to seal themselves away mm -hmm. beneath the earth uh, for centuries. And at long last. In the game of Earth Dawn, uh, the the peoples that had survived this long and interminable wait uh, have begun to finally creep back out into the world, having left the horrors more or less to starve or give up or go away. Right. This event was called the Scourge, and uh, yes. primarily these horrors descended from the astral plane on mass and were predicted, and giving people time to prepare, and they erected these great... Cairns, or cares, as they became known, wherein it was almost like an arcology, a self-sustaining, magically active uh, arc, if you will, that would shelter all those within, but within certain conditions. And some withstood the uh, test of the horse, as many great ones uh, came about, but for a while they were there and then they left. As magic ebbed and flowed, so they left with it as well. And so, people began to reemerge, and thus the name Earth Dawn is everybody's going about and rediscovering everything again. Yeah, the world and it gives you all these places, dungeons, and uh, full of traps because they were elaborately trapped to keep the horrors out. Vast forests and jungles that have overtaken uh, the the civilization that had been above ground uh, in the first place, and so there are many, literally, uh, just a few pockets of fully developed, settled uh, peoples, and huge tracts of wild lands that 
have changed dramatically across the, you know, the centuries. Uh, and wonderful ruins chock full of the things of the ancients that did, did not get swept away and hurried down below. Yeah, some of the Cairns were overrun by horrors who may still dwell within. And so you have to fight them. Yes. Uh, clear them out much like in a typical dungeon, giving you a little bit more, I guess, uh, excuse to go exploring strange holes in the ground. Yeah. Uh, and There uh, are still horrors. I mean, it Oh, yeah, they're still there. around, but uh, uh, just the ones... It's not like a vast swarm anymore. Yeah, Neil Arthotep and the Cthulhu aren't uh, arm wrestling uh, on a regular basis because they're bored. Yeah, outside your so it, or your it, care. It's not that bad, but I mean, you know, any horror is still pretty bad. Uh, and yep. that's not the only monster in here. I mean, there's a lot of well, well, yeah, very there's, original material. Well, inside. one of the things that it did away with, much like Shadowrun, is uh, you'll recognize that several of the races like orcs and trolls, of course, here, but uh, as well as dwarves and elves. Those are there, but also windlings and obsidian living statues, uh, or living statue, uh, living rock, elemental-like beings that are given form and shape uh, through their carestone, and they are also... Uh, very tough, but few in number. So you have a lot of different options to create your characters. And much like Earth or uh, RuneQuest, there's no real enemy race. Yeah, sure, there's Brew and Tusk Riders, but in Earthon, there's Orc Scorchers who are basically uh, beast riding angry dudes. So, yeah, Tusk Riders and uh, Sky Raiders, which are kind of like. Uh, Trolls riding uh, flying ships dropping out of the air. Yeah, now, uh, not all trolls are Sky Raiders, and not all Sky Raiders are trolls. But uh, Troll Sky Raider is much to be feared, because they're oh, ferocious yeah. warriors. Uh, and, you know, the, the trade of uh, flying about and taking what you please is uh, not an unpopular career among in, them yeah so you, you sometimes so, you can you can deal with them peacefully it's kind of like vikings and uh, the analogy is pretty yeah. spot on on that one sometimes you can expect to trade with them or at least deal reasonably well with them if you're well armed and able to force an accord and of course the scorchers much the same way they are fierce and very independent and dislike being ruled so they resist any attempts to join with civilization except on their terms which can sometimes lead to conflict. So there's no, say, enemy race because you have plenty of creatures with the horrors to contend with, but there's also the gamut of slimes and uh, undead skellymans and all the uh, crazy stuff that D&D has to offer, as well as the bizarre plethora of magical beasts that Shadowrun sort of introduced. So you have Basilisk, Chimera, and the other creatures that aren't necessarily horror-tainted, but they are the result of horrors kind of manipulating the thing, playing with animals in ways that uh, science and sorcery should not. And Now, I, I would like to get back to the two unique races that uh, populate Earthdawn. Uh, a moment's mention for the Obsidian, uh, people of rock itself. Uh, monsters, the monsters of, of rock. rock! Yeah, all right, that totally happened. Yeah, well over seven feet tall and 900 pounds. They have their life rock. And that's... They just emerge fully formed and ready to go. 
Yeah, that is an obsidian. Now, um, they are capable of magic like everyone else. Oh, very uh, much so. But they make incredible warriors on the grounds that it's extremely hard to injure an obsidian. Okay, just wonderfully resistant to damage. Uh, however, you know, they are limited in some respects as far as movement, uh, you know, ease of motion, things like that. Uh, also, if one is somehow rendered unconscious, boy, you, you've got to have a team that really cares about you, because that is not an easy project, moving a, a fallen obsidian. Uh, and the other would be the windlings. Well, yeah, we also forgot the, the screen. I forget Oh! Those. Yep, the, uh, the so sorry. river folk, they're, they're lizard folk who travel usually on great rivers and barges, and they're very, ex they're very, very extravagant. And uh, a player for the dramatic, and uh, they uh, are tail fighters, and they use their tails in part of their swashbuckling maneuvers, which is a whole thing with them, as well as having some that are uh, winged. Oh, so they certainly. have a, as well as being amphibious and other things like that. So, but you were going to bring up the uh, windlings, so we'll just go with that. Yeah, the windlings, which uh, think of uh, sprites and small fairies in D and D. You know, little winged creatures of the woods. Now, uh, these are a little bigger than that. Uh, now you're you're dealing. What now? What was the average height of a windling? About uh, two foot tops. Oh yeah, about just just a little over a foot and a half. Okay, and, well, for uh, a really tall one. Yeah, they're they're little uh, little short little things, and uh, although much sprite like, uh, they can be a, a variety of things, including. Uh, uh, warriors as well. They're just not as oh, strong in physical combat, yeah. but they they make up for it their dexterity. Um, well, and uh, stealth, reconnaissance, uh, sneakery, uh, and you know delicate tasks uh, are certainly well within their range. So, I mean, although it seems like here is this tiny person that is of comparatively little account in a party full of strong warriors. Uh, there are places a windling can go that uh, few others can, not to mention a, a member of the party that can fly out of the gate. Uh, uh, well, first they should be extremely cautious about going out too far alone uh, with an angry DM afoot, but uh, it's an incredibly useful trait in the frequently dangerous uh, wilds of, of Earth Dawn. So, uh, as... Simple as they seem, totally worthwhile uh, race of, of creatures in the Earth Dawn. Yeah, so rather than having a lot of your creatures uh, set up uh, like uh, hostile races like D&D, like where there's goblins and bugbears and all the angry guys that you just want to smash in the face. Yeah, really it's a little everybody, different here. Yeah, everybody is either potentially friendly or potentially hostile. I mean... Yeah, and they had a beautiful bunch of supplements, including uh, my favorite, which was... Uh, Kratos, the City of Thieves, which was a complete kleptocracy. But uh, I, the Kingdom of Thrall, because actually who builds uh, underground fortresses really well? Dwarves. So dwarves were actually the dominant race. Uh, also the Blood Elves. Uh, some of the elves had decided that rather than hide away and leave their precious woods behind, they would instead go through a ritual of the thorns, wherein thorns would pierce every part of their body. Every near square inch, and they constantly drip blood, but the thorns, in a magical symbiotic way, would sustain them. 
So when the horrors came up to him, they're like, okay, I'm going to give you a lot of pain. And they're like, oh, well, I guess. It's a thing. Yeah. And they were like, well, uh, okay, um, I guess I'm going to scare you really bad. I, I really thought this would, you know, I, I thought this, this would do more for me than this. I mean, it, it's kind of like uh, having pizza made out of cardboard. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, these elves have gone flat. <laughs> yeah, they left it alone. But they're still around and much changed. And, of course, uh, Haven and Parlant, which resemble uh, Pavis and Big Rubble from the RuneQuest days. Uh, big dungeon and open-air dungeon environment. Uh, City of Parlant had decided to magically transpose itself into an alternate reality or dimension. And that didn't end up well. Yeah. It was one of those, like, uh, great idea in theory. Yeah, we'll get out of here with no horrors in here, except the horrors were already there among them. And much in a uh, a Rorschach way. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, You know, you're not, I'm not trapped in here with you. You're trapped in here with me. Oh, yeah. yeah. It went poorly for Parlintha. And and for Haven. But yeah, there's all sorts of things either. to explore. And of course, uh, the cadaver men, uh, more or less, I guess, just like the brew form, the boogie boogie race, you know, where you go, ah, look, there's some scary undead people here. Oh, blah, 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 I'm really scared. And no, 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 no. <laughs> they're scary uh, in the fact that just like in The Walking Dead, there's literally hordes of uh, cadaver men just shambling about, mindlessly attacking anybody. But. They're easily dealt with at first, but in a large group, oh boy. Yeah, look, I mean, should they happen as a random encounter in a comparatively small number, they're not actually that hard to defeat. Uh, the problem is is that if you happen to stumble upon one of those areas where there's a very large number of them, you wind up with the Walking Dead scenario. I mean, they're not that fast. Yeah, there's entire herds of them that just clamber about because the uh, survivors, the people who are, died during the Scourge, the horrors reanimated them because they're into necromancy, among yeah. other things. So that kind of pleased them. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you can find a lot of uh, Walking Dead type scenarios in this as well. And some of the cadaver men still, uh, the early ones still survive as kind of animate things, as well as ghouls and kind of other creepy crawlies. So you do have a variety of things. Uh, there's some also, what is it, uh, rubble runners and things like that, uh, little Minor horrors, more pesky imps that reset all the traps all the time in Parliament, running amok. <laughs> just to be jerks. Yeah. Not, and Not uh, for any, like, it's not even their job. they just like, oh, this is going to wreck somebody's day. <laughs> yeah, they thought that crossbow trap was done. Yeah. No, no, there, there are a plethora of creatures out there in Earth Dawn, waiting to mess with the lair characters. So never never feel that like if some of the familiar stuff from D&D is not present, uh, that this game wants for anything. It does not, I assure you. Yeah, and uh, also the magic system is uh, fairly unique with uh, four branches of wizardry. Uh, there's no clerics, although there are what are called passions, which are not gods per se, but rather the manifestations of archetypes that hold things like the warrior, the father, some of the, something akin to the seven in uh, the Game of Thrones novels. But yeah, a lot more developed and many uh, much more uh, relevant. They're just unnamed because each one of the races has a vision for them. So rather than having a hundred different gods for a smith, 
there is the Forge Father, yeah. which primarily the dwarves cleave to, but it could be the Forge Mother for the uh, trolls. And, I mean, if it's, you know, any culture uh, where a person is keen on the crafting of weapons, uh, you might find that person being a patron of that right. particular It has expression. a nice class, the weaponsmith, right off the bat, which I enjoyed, much like the artificer that 5th uh, edition puts into. This was a person who not only enhanced their weapons and armor and items with their own magic, but could also, after a while, start enhancing a lot of the party stuff. So made them a secondary support character, as well as troubadours. So, yeah, you still got your bards. Indeed. Uh, (laughs) I'll have a romantic encounter with anything that moves. (laughs) And, yep, that's the thing. Oh, great. The donkey from Shrek. (laughs) Give him a guitar. (laughs) The warrior's like, I killed a dragon today. And the bard goes, (laughs) yeah, that's what I did. So, yeah, it's a... um, there's a lot of diversity to it. And of course, it takes place kind of where in the mid-Mesopotamian uh, era where Russia, the Crimea, and uh, the Sumerian area were. So you have a desert, a jungle, and a, a vast mountain range all right near together. And of course, they're all uh, the Kingdom of Thrall has achieved its independence through a crafty manipulation of events as well as treaties to, with the Theran Empire, who originally offered everybody... Sanctuary inside their massive uh, cares, resembling a magical arcology, for a price that they would be forever uh, beholden to them as their leaders and emperors. So they resemble a little bit of the empire of the Lunar Empire of the uh, RuneQuest, as well as the uh, allegory of a Roman or pre-Roman empire. Yes, uh, there are really, you know, again, it's one of those moments where you can see the similarities... (laughs) Uh, the inspiration from RuneQuest yeah. that was taken. Uh, which, which is from direct history. Yeah. Uh, and likewise, you know. <laughs> now, uh, tell me a little about the interesting facets of the Earth Dawn system. The, the game yeah, know, mechanics. So, <clears throat> um, As you described them a little better than me. Uh, Randy DM'd. I played with great gusto. So there's casting of spells are and things like that are their own subsystem, but it's a unique theory of thread weaving that every adept weaves threads as into their pattern. That everybody has a complex pattern that exists in the astral space as well as within themselves that you cast into or can be seen through the astral space. So you weave threads. You take part of yourself and weave it into an item or into yourself, and through that, spell casting is done. So, thread weaving is a big thing in this. So, to help facilitate this and tell kind of this unique take on magic and its theories, they created a system that used steps, and then you would derive from attributes, bonuses, and then apply them to your skills, and then those skills would be further enhanced through your circle. So, you would have steps where, like, if a starting character could expect to roll have a uh, step eight or nine, which would give you a little chart on the side of the character sheet where you'd roll like two die six and try to beat a target number. and uh, Or like one die eight plus one die six. And if you rolled maximum on the dice, then you would roll again and keep rolling. Exploding dice was a big thing. And you could continue going up the steps to like uh, theoretical like step 19 to 30. Well, it goes all the way up to 30, but 
Yeah, step 19 was pretty much where you capped out at, which is one die 20 plus two die six to beat the target number. And there that was would some... be considered an extremely difficult test. Well, or a very skilled person yeah. doing the, performing that test, which would be almost be certain that they would make it, like a minimum number of three. And um, so the idea was is that the system kind of supported a higher end to the game, but it had a theoretical maximum. Unlike Shadowrun, which was just take buckets of dice, this one was take handfuls of dice, but the various types. You were rolling die 12s with die 10s, die 8s, and die 10s, and all that, and kind of adding it together, and it was kind of fun. It was a lot of uh, math work on, to get a the result of a roll, per se, but it was kind of intuitive in and of its own, because you were working, to, driving attributes and skill ranks just to get to this step mechanic. Yeah, with the character sheet in front of me, I could manage this game. Yeah, really it was well back in the day. Uh, if I recall correctly, I was playing a rogue, uh, but this was more of a heroic mold. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, the 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 uh, circles give you some optimization. You don't have to take everything. You can make one adept is different from the other, but they share many similarities. And you know, it's ranked in the fifty top games of all times. From Rick Swans, uh, he puts it at 24, which is pretty high. Where like Shadowrun and uh, D&D inhabit like the high end number, and like RuneQuest and Pendragon are like, and Call of Cthulhu are like at the top three. Interesting. Yeah, D&D only in, on Rick Swans' guide was, you know, mid. It is up in the top tens. <laughs> Oh well, all right. At least, uh, at least it got some honorable mention there. Jeez. Well, you were dealing with games that, uh, if you had to say, like Dungeons and Dragons was groundbreaking, absolutely. Oh sure. But were there games that uh, did things better, and that's what it was grading it on? Like, okay. You know, so Call of Cthulhu is purely... probably the penultimate of ease of play and style, along with mood and approachability. So it that's why it probably got like number one. Okay. And I, I would never really I mean, you know, the, again, your mileage may vary. Everybody has a game that they love, and I'm pretty sure that a lot of people will say, like, oh D and D's the best game ever and I just love D and D and I'm, yeah, you know, I love D and D. I play okay. I play the crap out of Pathfinder all the time, but it's still to me D and D. It's a love letter. Well at the end of the day, Earth Dawn uh received not only considerable attention, uh, but considerable praise. Uh, because however awkward the system may sound to people, I mean, it, then we're probably just not explaining it well enough. Because in truth, it was an easy learning curve. Uh, it was just a you know change of the way you think of the things that you undertake. And uh, <laughs> I, I gotta say, it none of it impeded gameplay. No, and at all. You know, the biggest thing is the reason why I returned to the magic system. In a genre literally strewn, strewn with games that tried to do magic differently. RuneQuest, I think, of all the games, had an innovative magic system that spoke well for itself. And still in a game that gave you your classic monsters and dungeons sort of approach. With a Call of Cthulhu twist of the other things. And oh, yeah. it all made sense. It all fit together. And, you know, like, armor absorbs damage. Um, you have a basic uh, difficulty to be hit based on 
your uh, derived attributes and characteristics, but you also had a kind of a skill system with that as well that was enhanced by your adept. And these gave you your abilities to do important things. That's the exploding dice, where you could just suddenly like turn into that dramatic movie-esque, uh, where you jump up in the air, ride the... Swing your rope around the Tyrannosaurus's necks and spin yourself up and around and kip up, landing your blade right on in between its uh, vertebra, severing its spinal cord from its little pea brain. <laughs> so you could do stuff like that if you rolled really, really well. And that was what it was that meant to support. And so I think it was a good game off of that. The rules could be a little uh, difficult for some people to grasp, but once you got past the initial, like, creating the steps and putting things into order, it all fell into place and became pretty rote with people just grabbing small handfuls of dice, rolling them and adding up together to beat a difficulty number. So Yeah, like so many games, uh, much of the hurdle of learning new material was covered handily in the character creation process. Uh, so... Once you had been through the process of building some characters, you had a pretty firm grasp of yeah. what was going to be required of you in-game. So I did not find this game intimidating at all. Quite the contrary. Uh, despite an initial flush of confusion, uh, I launched into it with, with just enormous glee. <laughs> yes! Yeah. Uh, also, <laughs> one of my favorite moments, one of my prouder comments... Um, Remember when the windling thief seemed oh. to be the one that all the monsters were attacking that that night? Oh yeah, just uh, rolled in Mike had to say that he was playing Four. a windling rogue uh, thief named Pleva. Yeah, it was Dave's character, was it? No, it was uh, just one of the pregens, and oh. you were just getting attacked by all the horrible things and that. Yeah, and, and I... <laughs> I delivered the classic line: "All the monsters got the fever for the flavor of the pleva." Of course, it was a horror-infused construct that was a mantis that specifically uh, hunted uh, windlings. Yeah, and that was <laughs> why. So, that, but yeah, after that, everything else seemed to have like you know every bad thing that would happen to him happened to him. And all the guys. monsters got the fever for the flavor of the. But pleva. he lived, and that was the big thing. Is like. You know, despite having kind of like a target painted on his forehead at the start of it and destroying the uh, fo hated foe, the uh, rest of the adventure seemed to go pretty poorly for uh, poor Fleva, but uh, Fleva managed to keep going. <laughs> now, another thing I want to get back to on the mechanics, and this is just the last thing, this will be quick, uh, if you're tired of hearing me talk about the innovation, was the thread weaving applied to magic items. So, you know, most games like Okay, your first adventure, you find a dagger plus one. Okay? And people would be like, yeah, okay, plus one dagger. That's useful. But by level six, dagger plus one, psh, yeah. Okay, yeah, you might still keep it because, well, you never know when you're going to need a dagger when you're swallowed by a giant T-Rex. But, well, like a T-Rex wouldn't be giant. I mean, this guy, I guess it's like a miniature giant space hamster. I don't know. <laughs> but yes. Yeah, so, so Go you're for the eyes, boo. Go <laughs> for the eyes. So you're swallowed by a great monster, and so you need a dagger to cut your way out. Yep, I got gotcha. you. So that plus one dagger is probably going to remain on your belt. But however, you find a plus two dagger, you're going to be like, hmm, well, I could carry a plus one and a plus two dagger. But, you know, weight requirements and the DM stifling, giving me the stink eye every time I keep grabbing magic items out of the pile. 
Yeah, I think I'll give that plus one dagger to one of my henchmen. He'll appreciate it. Well, Earth Dawn bypasses that sort of uh, right. accumulating, uh, trading out nonsense. I mean, it really... You can uh, find a dagger and you find out that eight ranks later of thread weaving into it, you've unlocked the final secret of this powerful dar dagger, Parlis's dagger, and it slays whores on contact. Yeah. Just tap. Yeah, you get to channel your magical energy through it, and the spirit of Parlis, who is a great troubadour and song teller, you have to learn to unlock these things by learning who this item belonged to, what they did with it, and in turn, discovering these things and even honoring the spirit of the former uh, owner of this item, who is a legend in this, these realms. Yeah, you could literally hand in Earth Dawn, you could hand uh, a party of five, could each... Each one of those five players could be in possession of an artifact at Circle One. And it wouldn't make a bit of difference in gameplay because they would not have access to all of the powers of these things. They would have the most entry-level rudimentary. Now, Earth Dawn did this first. Mm -hmm. you, you hear about things like this, the unlocking, uh, you know, growth in... By deeds and by discovery. Yeah. You hear about that in other games... Uh, these are the folks who really pushed that idea forward at its inception. Uh, and they deserve the credit for it. Yes, they, they do. And uh, I think that it's telling that they went through with it well and they made it work really well. And the system, the setting, everything just made sense and it flowed and it was innovative. So not only just the setting, usually you have a, like with RuneQuest, it was a really great setting, but the system is kind of, well, you know, it's the personal system, but we've seen them before. There's nothing really extravagant about it. After you've played your first personal system, I guess it's pretty much like any other, right? Well, Earthdawn had a unique system that was memorable. Secondly, it also had a unique uh, setting that made use of that system intrinsic into the character and into the nomenclature rather than NPCs and other such things that you kind of are meta non-adepts uh that people whose magic rating is not very high or their ability they you know you know performing the day-to-day -day tasks that make necessary life livable and uh, their minor magic powers may be basket weaving or something un uh like cooking yeah it may not be adventure worthy but you know you can Wind up in a place where, oh, I heard they've got, like, the best doggone cook in, like, yep. literally three cities. Literally making a hero's feast with their um, in magically enhanced cooking skill. And as silly as it sounds, it adds yeah. to the setting. I, and, you know, some people don't go out venturing into the woods with their magical powers, risking their lives day to day. Instead, they focus on what they're incredibly good at and what is part of their everyday life. Uh, whether it's the, the person who's like, ah, I weave clothing and, and diet. You know, uh, they become incredibly good yeah, at that. Yeah, it's, it's something you would want to make if you want to craft a magic item. If you need silk, that person, their gossamer looks like water, constantly flowing like a river. Yeah, they, they just, you know, fuse their magic into their craftsmanship, and they create wonders. So, you know, no poo-pooing the little people of Earth. Right, yeah. You, could, you know, you got an eighth-rate circle expert. Yep, they're, they may be a weaver or a dyer, like you said, but their work... Is the stuff of legends. Yeah, they begin like everyone else. Circle one, not really, you know, incredibly powerful at whatever they're doing, but they, they at least know how to get the job done, and then they grow from there. 
Yeah, so we could sing the praises like yeah. uh, the training. Um, if you had to find a master to train, much like Dungeons and Dragons, the training rules were built in. If you couldn't find a master, you could do a blood ritual and summon an ancient master, a yeah. ghost, the spirit to teach you. And for some uh, circles, there's nobody higher level uh, circle than you. You would have to actually summon a ghost master to yeah. come and teach you the inner secrets. Yeah, how do I? You know, well, when we speak of that, you know, rarefied twenty sixth. Uh, you know, thirteenth uh, to fifteenth circle. Yeah, yeah anything 13th. over tenth level, usually you have to invoke a ghost master. Yeah, at that point, you know, uh, you can still find masters at uh, the eighth circle and ninth circle, but past a certain point, uh, there is no one but the ancestors to call upon. Otherwise, that knowledge is simply lost. Mm -hmm. uh, it no longer exists. But hey, once you achieve it in game. People will come and seek you for training. Mm -hmm. ha, ha, ha. Oh, but no, that's that's the picture of Earth Dawn that we wanted to paint. A yeah. truly innovative game. We came to sing its praises and we rambled on like yeah, and two we're not prattling at all fools. Ashamed. We're not at all ashamed of having <laughs> sung its praises, okay? We, we have no shame. We did not come here to pick this apart uh, or you know deliver criticism on a new product. Uh, this is something that we both consider a proven product. Uh, that was superior even in its own time. Yeah, so if you find this one in the cheap bin or the used aisle, uh, pick it up. You will not be disappointed. Uh, Pasa well supported it, and you can still find many of the supplements for sale online at Flea Bay or Noble Knight Games, and uh, for a decent price, not oh. an exorbitant amount, because Pasa published this well and deep. Yeah, this was not like they had like just uh, two print runs of a few thousand each. Uh, not the case here. Uh, Earth Dawn was reasonably successful for a fair amount of time, mm -hmm. had multiple printings. So they're out there. It can be found, and it will not annihilate your pocketbook. Yeah, you'll pick up a good, complete collection. <laughs> you, you, you won't <laughs> purchase Earth Dawn and feel like you've been attacked by a horror. It's true. It terrified my wallet. All things shredded. <laughs> so... Yeah, I think that'll wrap it up for us. I think we've uh, spent our breath on that well and good. So we hope that we that haven't well worn worked. out your poor eardrums with our rambling. But we do hope, remember it's meandering, um, we do hope that uh, you enjoyed it and uh, continue to tune in for more of our retrospectives. Um, although this one I would definitely put is less as a retrospective as more lament that it's not played more. Oh, yeah. This is one that, like, everybody should have a copy of this one. This should have happened at least once at every table. Uh, just for the change of pace, yeah, the unique experience, completely worth it. Yeah, we played a, a pretty lengthy campaign with it and uh, exhausted the uh, base parts of the setting and then drifted back into our normal stuff. And then third edition happened, so. <laughs> so and I went through some trauma at that time. Boy, oh boy, boy, poor guy. Uh, we were also playing a lot of Earth Dawn and uh, Deadlands at the time. So and Shadowruns. So. Oh, we had a really full plate for a while there. Yeah, we're constantly. I was living out of town, and it took me a while to you know, like catch up with everybody because I could only come like once every couple of weeks or so. Yeah, but, but you know, well worth it when I did show up and lightning Jack Hanna on a one-eyed mare. Oh, up yeah. in Deadlands, and we were ready for it. Lightning Jack. Uh, with a six-shooter at the ready. Yep, and a saloon gal with uh, two sawed-off shotguns. Complete cheat. 
<laughs> she ain't pulling around. <laughs> Blowing the heads off vampires left and right. <laughs> she loaded it with silver nickels. <laughs> yeah, every time I pulled trigger on one of those, that was eight bucks down the drain. <laughs> Uh, back in the, back to work in the saloon. Rack up some more ammo. I said former saloon gal. Yeah, but all right. <laughs> okay, all right, fair enough. Um, well, that covers today's episode. I hope people enjoyed. Yeah, and uh, as always, uh, if you have comments, questions, and concerns, and of course, you always have those, you can get a hold of us on our Facebook page, The Dice of Screaming, or uh, get a hold of us at Twitter. Uh, you can find me at Death Hand Gaming. And myself at Magi Box. Yeah, just to let us know uh, what you think. If you have any ideas for episodes, of course, you can also download the Anchor app and uh, leave us a voice message. We'll put you on the show and we'll give you a whirl. So we've had we've done that with uh, two topics now from our listeners on the Facebook page. So thank you for those ideas. The lycanthropy and uh, yeah, I think another one, but it, it eludes me at this point in time. But as our time is growing short, we're going to wrap it up here. So we hope you take care of yourselves and. May the dice always roll in your favor. We're out. See ya.